Amen. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, it's really good to be with you this morning. Um, over the past several, several weeks, in fact, dating all the way back to last winter, we've been walking through the Gospel of John. We've taken a few breaks in between, but we've been asking this question, who is Jesus? Actually trying to look at Jesus without a filter, because Jesus can have a lot of filters put on him, and we can have a lot of ideas about who Jesus is. But instead of doing that, just to open up the Gospel, to hear Jesus' words himself proclaimed to us, and to ask that question, who is he? And over these weeks, what we've seen is that as Jesus begins his earthly ministry, he makes some pretty bold statements and some pretty bold moves and some pretty bold claims. And throughout, um, as he does this, people um, are led to respond. It really demands a response. He claims to be the light of the world. He claims to be the word. He claims to be the bread of life. Um, Overall, he claims to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And as he does this, and as he interacts with people, they they have to respond. You have to respond in some way. And as we saw last week in John 8, some people pick up stones or walk away and reject him, while others listen to what he has to say as the Holy Spirit opens up their eyes and opens up their heart, and they receive him. And we see actually the exact thing play out today in our passage in John chapter 9. I don't know about you guys, um, I really love fall. Fall is probably my favorite season. I talked to my wife about this not too long ago for several reasons. I really like college football. Um, I've grown addicted to pumpkin spice lattes at Starbucks, which come out in the fall. Um, Also, and this might be a little bit embarrassing, but I'm actually, I really, really love haunted houses. And and I love going to haunted houses for whatever reason. And the last haunted house I went to was with my brother-in-law, Nathan, in South Carolina. And as we're going through this haunted house, we were paired up with a lot of people we didn't know. And so you kind of have to try to to put on a brave face, like not look like too much of a wimp. Although everything inside of me is just screaming and wants to cower in a corner. Um, But as we're going through this haunted house, there are areas in there that are super, super dark. You can't see anything. I mean, intentionally, it's just pitch black. And you're trying to reach along, and you can't be over things. And, and this is really embarrassing, too, but we were in this super, super dark room, couldn't see anything, and all of a sudden the lights come on, and, and a guy's standing about five inches away from my face. And I'm not sure how this happened, but I totally lost my footing and ended up on my back. I almost hit my head on a table. The people around are, like, looking at me like, are you okay? I don't know them. Pretty embarrassing, pretty humbling. Um, but it's just... It's just off balance. When you can't see, when it's dark, when you're not sure what's ahead, when you're, when you're grasping to show you where you are, to show you where you should be headed. Some of the most difficult times in our life, in your life, will be when you are not sure what's ahead of you, and maybe it doesn't even seem like there could be anything good ahead of you. Especially when where you are right now is not where you want to be. I'm sure you can relate with this. Maybe, maybe it's loss. I lost somebody in my life that I really cared about, that I really loved. I didn't expect that and I'm not sure what to do. It seems pretty dark. I'm not sure what's ahead. I don't know what it looks like to grieve and to, to keep moving forward. I, I, had, a, I had a miscarriage and it's painful and I'm not sure what it looks like to move forward. I'm not sure what it looks like for there to be healing. I'm not sure how this could be good in any way, shape, or form. 
Maybe it's just hurt or pain. This person hurt me or I experienced this and it seems really dark in my life right now and I'm having a really hard time thinking about anything good coming up. I'm having a hard time, maybe even a crisis of faith. Where's the goodness in this? It feels like the healing's just not coming. It feels like this, this wound just, it's not going away. Maybe um, it's unmet expectations. I thought I would be here by now. I thought I'd be married by now. I thought I'd have children by now. I, I thought I'd be in this place, and I find myself not there, and it feels really dark. And I'm not sure what's ahead of me, but I know that this isn't where I want to be. Maybe it's difficult decisions. Who, sh- who should I date? Who should I marry? What should I do with my career? What should I do in life? Where should I live? All of these different decisions that can pop up, and it just feels a, a little bit dark, and you're not sure. And maybe it brings about some anxiety. Maybe it's even sickness. I didn't expect for this to be a part of my life. I didn't expect to be sick. I didn't expect to have to endure this. I didn't expect for, for this season. And it just feels like there's no way out. It feels like, it feels like the lights are just dimming on my life and on my situation. I'm sure you can relate to this. I think we all can. Anything else, I would just put in the category of unknown. I'm just not sure what's ahead. And it can feel like being in that haunted house with all the lights off. And you're just trying to think about what it looks like to move forward. You don't want to be where you're at. And it can produce this place where we can even have a crisis of faith. Where we can really wonder what's coming up. And, and we find ourselves asking this big question, where do, where do we go? What do we do? And even bigger than that, who do we trust in these times? Who do we trust? Because what we want more than anything else during these times of anxiety and stress and frustration and loneliness is we want relief. We want relief. We want relief from the situation. We want clarity in these times. And in these times of darkness, what we really need is light so that we can see in front of us. And God knew that this would be a constant tension for us. And so he offers us the relief that we're searching for, but he offers us this not because he has to, but because he actually cares. I want you to know that God cares about you this morning. He cares about where you are, and he cares about where you're headed. And as we open up John chapter 9 for just a few minutes this morning, and we see this an amazing account of Jesus' interaction with a man born blind, and, and we look at this, this story, here's what I want us to see really, really clearly. That trusting in the sight giver is better than trusting in the sight seer. Trusting in the sight giver is better than trusting in the sightseer. So let's open this chapter up, uh, John chapter 9. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. This will be up here on the screen as well. Um, we are going to start right off in the beginning of this passage. Jesus is walking along. He's with his disciples, and that's where we pick up in verse 1. So let's, let's see what it says here. As he passed by, this is Jesus, he saw a man born blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so just a little bit of background. If you were born blind, and the reason we know that Jesus was born blind, or not Jesus, the reason we know that this man was born blind is because John recounts these times later on in life. And so it's not that they just knew right then necessarily, but, but they would have realized as they communicated and talked to this guy that he was born blind. He never had sight. And for somebody who was born blind back in this time, really the only, the only option they had was to beg. 
was to beg. Their families would take them out each day, put them in a populated place, maybe on a corner, somewhere where they could just sit and they could beg for money. And so this guy was out and he's, he's probably begging for money, hoping that people will give to him because he can't, he can't really do much. He can't be a day laborer. He can't see, he can hear and he can touch, but during this time, this is really his only option. So imagine this reality for this man. This has been his entire life. He's never seen anything that we've seen. If you have sight, he's never, he's never seen the trees. He's never looked at the sky. He's, he's never experienced these things. And so this is where we find this man. And Jesus is walking by, and here's what it says. It says that he, he sees his condition. I hope that you know today, no matter who you are, that Jesus knows your condition. He really does. He's present, and he knows where you are, and he knows what you're experiencing. He knows what you're going through. This isn't new to him. This isn't a surprise to him. And I hope that that's really comforting. He knows your circumstances. He knows your situation. He knows what's on your heart. He knows what's, what's heavy on your soul. He knows that. It's not new to him. Now the Jews, they would connect suffering directly with sin. And that's why his disciples asked, hey, this man was born blind. Who sinned? Did he sin? Did he sin to be born this way? I mean, did he like kick his mother in the womb and he sinned and so he was born blind? Did his parents do something? There must have been something that happened. There must have been some unrepentant sin that caused him to be born blind. This was their idea. This was their thought process here, that if you were suffering, it had to be directly related to some kind of sin in your life. I mean, think about Job. If you've um, ever read about Job in the, in the Old Testament, Job was a righteous man, and Job has everything taken away from him, and his friends come around, and they say, Job, what have you done? You must have done something. There must be some unrepentant sin in your life. You need to confess. And Job didn't have anything to confess. It wasn't a sin issue in his life. In fact, Job goes on to say to his friends, you are miserable comforters. <laughs> I haven't done something that caused this. This is simply a circumstance in my life. This is a dark time in my life. I've shared this before, but uh, for, for the past few years, Laura and I have been uh, trying to have children. This has been something ongoing for us. And uh, I had a a uh, procedure two weeks ago, that's why I wasn't here, um, and it was a procedure that we were looking forward to for about six or eight months. It was hard to get it scheduled, it was hard to work out everything, and, and, the, and the hope was this would help us with, with having children. Went in really optimistic, and as everything finished up and the doctor came out, we received news that we weren't hoping for. And my first thought was, what did I do? What did I do that this is happening in our life? What did I do that this is where we are? It wasn't true. It was a lie. But that was my first thought. And I think it's easy for us to go to that place when we experience hurt or pain or loss. What did I do? I must have done something. It doesn't mean there aren't circumstances to sin, but, but here's, here's what it does mean. Is Jesus answers and he says, hey, this isn't, this isn't an issue of a singular sin in this man's life or his parents. Really what this is, this is a sin of the world issue. The world's broken and everything's been affected by sin. And this man being born blind, this wasn't because of his sin. This was because of overall brokenness. But here's the good news. Here's the good news, is that God 
is going to use this situation, which others would see hopeless, he's going to intervene. He's going to use it for his glory. He's going to display his works in this man's life for all to see, to show his authority, his love, and his mercy. That's Jesus' response to his disciples here. And so in verse 4, it says, Jesus continues, we must work the works of him who sent me while it's a night is coming no one, when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's pretty key here. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing What Jesus says in verse 4 here is basically that he came with a mission and it was to do the work of the Father while he was on this earth. And what Jesus is encouraging his disciples with and what he's encouraging you and I with today is that for a brief time we have the opportunity to take part in this mission. This mission in a nutshell to shine the light of the gospel on a darkened world. To stand with the gospel, to stand with Jesus and to help shine the light of his love, of his goodness, of his grace on a darkened world so that people would would respond to that, so that they would be brought to new life. That's what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. But in order to do that first, your eyes must be opened. Notice how Jesus heals, does it with mud. Now is this the same way that everybody, that Jesus heals everyone that's that's blind? Absolutely not. So why does he, why does he do this? Does he decide to make mud and put it on this guy's eyes? Um, we don't know everything for sure about this, but what we do know is that God is not, Jesus is not held to a certain method. He didn't have to do things a certain way. And Jesus, what it shows us here is Jesus is in the business of dealing with people, individuals, personally. Jesus isn't going to come and connect with you relationally in the same way that he necessarily connects with everybody else. And he's not putting you in just a huge basket where you hope that he'll get to you or hope that he'll remember you or he'll think about you or he'll interject. He deals with you personally, just as he's dealing with this man in a unique way because he loves you individually. He cares about you. He cares about exactly what's going on in your life. He cares about what's ahead. He cares about what's behind. Siloam, this is the key here. I don't know if you noticed, but it it says Jesus told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. This word Siloam, it's the same as the word Shiloh, meaning scent. And this is really the key. It wasn't the mud that was the key to him uh, receiving sight. It wasn't the saliva that was built up. It wasn't even the washing. But Jesus is making a point here. Because anytime Jesus heals someone, it's more than just a healing. It's, It's a sign. There's something deeper. There's a spiritual meaning. And so Jesus sends him to wash in this specific place, which is called scent. Because Jesus is the sent one. Jesus is the sent one. In Isaiah 8, 6, uh, it says that the Jewish people rejected the waters of Shiloh. And here, in Jesus' time in his ministry, they're rejecting him. So there's a deeper meaning that's going on here. For spiritual cleansing, here's what it's saying. For spiritual cleansing, for actual new life, you must go to the true Siloam. The one who was sent by the Father to save sinners. You won't find it anywhere else. This is the only way. You may be tempted, you may be tempted to go your own way and maybe, maybe do self-help. You may be tempted to just listen to others, to try to life on your own, to try to fix your circumstances. Whatever area this is, but there's only one way to true spiritual cleansing. There's only one way to true sight which not only affects us spiritually, but as we see here, even physically, as we plead with God, 
and that's Jesus. There are no counterfeits. I worked for a bank for a while, and uh, we looked at counterfeit bills, and no matter how badly I wanted that bill to be real, no matter how, how much I dressed it up or tried to change it or tried to fix it or whatever, it was still counterfeit. There's only one true source, and it's Jesus, the sent one. Can you imagine this man? I mean, picture this man. He's born blind. He's an adult now, and he's never seen. He can hear, and he can touch, but he can't see. Just imagine this situation. Jesus comes up. He observes the man's condition. He probably hears the disciples even maybe just quietly asking Jesus, who sinned? Was it this man? Was it his parents? And then he hears Jesus spitting. And he hears Jesus maybe making this mud pack. And then he feels this mud being placed over his eyes. And he's sent down to this water. Somebody was probably helping him. And he listens to what Jesus says to wash. And for the first time ever in this man's life, he can see. Imagine the joy and celebration in his life. For the first time, he has sight. He's changed. He's experienced something that he's never experienced before. At the hands of Jesus. I tried to get a better feel for this this week. I watched a few um, videos it's amazing where things have come with surgeries. And I was watching this video from over in India, these two children that were born blind. And um, these doctors went over, and it documented this time with their parents. And their parents wanted so badly for them to be given sight. And this $300 procedure, which is just insane to think about, is done. And these children, they unwrap the bandages, and the children open their eyes for the first time. And you can just see the excitement pour out from these children. They're seeing their parents for the first time. They're seeing everything around them for the first time. Because they've been given sight. And so imagine what this man is experiencing as he sees things for the first time. This joyful celebration and people took notice. In verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, this is not the man who used to sit in, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it's he. Others said no, but he's a doppelganger. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. Look at his answer here. He said, Jesus made mud. He put it on my eyes. He told me to go wash. I washed and I can see. It's pretty simple. You know, this is a pretty simple explanation. For some of you, maybe you're a newer Christian. Maybe you don't have all the answers. Maybe you feel like you need to. You have all the theological answers, but if you have a relationship with Jesus, here's what you do have. Once I was blind, now I see. And it was because of Jesus. Once I was blind, and now I see. I, I, maybe, I can't explain it all, but you can stand on that. That because of Jesus' grace, I've received sight. Because of Jesus' grace, I've received new life. And so this man makes this very basic explanation. And so the people, his neighbors, we see the story unfold. They brought the man to the Pharisees. They brought, um, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. I love this word formally. This word formally, he's not blind anymore. He was, but he's not anymore. 
If you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a testimony of what you formerly were and what you now are. You were formerly someone else, but now you've been given a new identity. Oh, you're a liar. Well, I once lied. I've got Jesus now. I've been given a new life. Because the old things have passed away and the new things have come, I'm rejoicing in the new life that I have in Christ. I'm no longer who I formerly was, but now I have a new identity. And it's a son or a daughter in the family of God. And the old has completely passed away. And the new has come. And the new has come. This man is receiving a new identity because of his new circumstances. And this is so important um, that we trust in the sight giver over the sightseer. Let's continue. It says, Now it was the Sabbath day, verse 14, when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Yeah, that's going to create some problems. So the Pharisees again asked how he had received his sight, and he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. (laughs) The real problem that the Pharisees had was that Jesus did this sign, this miracle on the Sabbath day. Jesus has fallen into this place several times now. And the religious leaders really don't like it because they had specific rules against doing work on the Sabbath. They actually had a rule that said that you couldn't spit in the ground on the Sabbath because it was seen as work because then you could plant a seed. They had a rule that said you couldn't create more. Put together saliva with mud and you pack it. What do you have? You've got mortar. They also had a rule that you could not heal on the Sabbath. You couldn't even reset a bone on the Sabbath. They had all these rules and all these regulations, and Jesus comes in, and, and what does he do? Does he put the rules, does he put the regulations, does he put all of them? He puts people at the highest priority. Because he came to save people, he didn't come to save rules and regulations. And so he saw this man in need, just as he sees you in your current state. And he offers him sight. And he heals him. Who do you say that he is? I love this. He's a prophet. So this man is growing his boldness. He's even growing in his belief in who Jesus is. First he said, yeah, there's a man named Jesus, told me to put mud on my eyes, did it, washed, I can see. And now he's like, oh, oh, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. Even against the pressure of the leaders, he's starting to really know the truth and he's standing with the truth of the one who gave him sight. In verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been born blind and received his sight. So let's discredit this. You can see kind of this courtroom drama playing out. It's like, brought him before us, and he says that he was blind, he was given sight, and the neighbors say that this looks a lot like him. It probably is him, but we'd really like it not to be him, because it's just authority. So who do we have? Let's bring a witness in. Do we have any witnesses? So what do they do? Until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How does then he see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son that was born blind, but how he sees, we do not know. Nor do we ask him. He is of age. Ask him. He's an adult. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had all Jesus to be Christ. He was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So the Jews didn't believe him, so they call his parents in and they decide to interrogate them. But the parents say, yeah, this is our son. This is him right here. 
but they didn't speak for themselves. Because they were scared. Because they were scared of being thrown out. They were scared of being excommunicated. And so they say, hey, talk to him. Talk to him. He's of age. Now you would think that if you were the parents of this man who was born blind, wouldn't this be a day of great rejoicing? Wouldn't you have wanted this for your son more than anything else in his entire life that he might be given sight? I mean, imagine that. Your son who has been essentially left to beg on the streets, in the dust, in the dirt, for the remainder of his life has now been given sight. He's seeing you for the first time. There should have been such great joy. There should have been rejoicing. There should have been immense celebration. I mean, I can't even imagine this. I can't even imagine the tears just overpowering as his parents see this man who's finally able to see. But instead it says there's a division. They say, hey, let him speak for himself. In fact, let's distance ourselves a little bit. He's of age. We don't want to get in trouble. Just, Just deal with him over there. And this still happens today. For some of you, as you stand with Christ, maybe your family doesn't take the same belief that you have. And there's a division, and it's difficult, and it's tough. And it can create some anxiety and some tension and some stressors. Maybe it's with your friends, maybe it's with neighbors, whoever it might be, coworkers, they just don't believe in the same thing that you believe. They don't, they don't carry that same belief, and so there's, there's division. And this is why I think it's so important even in the midst of those times, you feel really lonely and discouraging that you have good, loving church community. It's so critical. It's so critical, especially in the times of division, especially in the times where you don't necessarily agree on what you believe. And so um, as we continue in this, verse 24, they say, ask him, he's of age. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. So basically, hey, you're, you're defending an imposter. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. He gets bolder. I can't give all the answers, but one thing I know for sure, once I was blind, and now I see. In the times of doubt, in the times of pressure, when the times when nobody around you may understand why you believe in what you believe, where others may encourage you to go your own way, to try to fix things on your own, to renounce the faith. In those times, stand firm as this man stands firm. Remember, once I was blind, but now I see. No one else in this man's life was able to give him sight. It was only Jesus, which makes sense of why he's standing with the truth of what Christ had done not what people were saying. He's saying, I'm choosing to trust in the giver of my sight. It's easy to debate beliefs, but it's really hard to debate a changed life. And this man's life was clearly changed. We sang the song Amazing Grace um, just a few minutes ago. And I don't know how much you know about that song, but it has a pretty amazing story behind it. The writer of that song, uh, many, many years ago, his name is John Newton. And here's a few things about John Newton. He had a devout mother, She was a Christian, and she wanted more than anything for John to grow up and to be a pastor. But John's mother passed away when he was six years old, and he became pretty distraught, pretty angry, pretty upset. 
And as he grew older, he became a sailor, and he spent his youth at sea. And here's what John says. He says, I loved sin, and I was unwilling to forsake it. My delight in habitual practice was wickedness, and I renounced the Christian faith. And John was flogged, and he was thrown out of the Navy. He eventually was a part of the Navy. He was thrown out for desertion. And he became depressed, and he became angry, and he says he even thought about trying to murder the captain of the ship. And he said, I delighted, I continued to delight in my wickedness, and what I did is I convinced others to even take part. And he was sent to work on a slave ship in the slave trade, um, in the African slave trade. And he eventually partnered with a ship, and here's what he says. He says, my life was good, and we lived as we pleased. We had everything that we wanted But during a storm one night on the ship, it got really rocky, and John feared for his life, and he says he surprised even himself when he cried out, Lord, have mercy on us. And he started to reflect on his life, and he started to reflect on his rejection of Christ and of the faith. And he recounts, and he says, my first thought was that I was too sinful to be saved. But then I thought of Jesus, and I thought of what he had done on the behalf of sinners, and I thought of the prodigal son, the one who was able to come back home even though he had walked away from his father. And he realized that he had a need for Jesus. And uh, John says this, he says, I was no longer an atheist. I was sincerely touched with a sense of undeserved mercy and being brought safe through so many dangers. I was a new man. He went on to write the words of that song which we sang earlier in, in that beautiful line, I've once was blind, but now I see. Because God gave him sight. He realized who he was. He realized his need for Christ, and he stood with him. He stood for him from that point on. I love that line. Once I was blind, but now I see. In verse 26, they said to him, what did he do to you? Talking about Jesus. How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already. You would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? (laughs) And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. And they cast him out. He's gotten even bolder. He's actually preaching to the teachers. Which is amazing. Look at where he came from. Somebody put mud, put mud, washed, sight. He's a prophet. Oh, he's more than that. Here's, here's who he is. And I'm actually going to push back upon what you're saying. I'm going to preach to you. And so he's, he's persecuted here, and he's excommunicated from the temple because he stood with Jesus. When you see clearly, when Jesus opens your eyes, if he's opened your eyes, if you're a believer in here today, and you start a relationship with him, it doesn't mean it's not a promise of a life of ease. It would have been easy to understand at this point as he's thrown out of the temple for him to have a crisis of faith. To say, well, I'm not sure if I should be standing with Jesus. 
He gave me sight, but now it's causing some issues in my life and things are getting challenging. I've just been thrown out of the temple. My parents don't seem as excited as I thought they would be that I could see. Maybe this isn't something I should believe in. Maybe this isn't someone I should stand with. But Jesus did, and here's what I, want you, here's what I hope you're encouraged. No, no matter what it is, in your life right now or coming, whatever circumstance, whether it's in the category of loss, hurt, pain, tough decisions, unmet expectations, or just the unknown. If Jesus has opened your eyes to his grace, if he's, if he's saved you, if you have a relationship with him, when there are times when you are in a crisis of faith, which if, if we're honest, we get in those times. I felt like I was there a few weeks ago. Where's your God? You still here? You forgot about me? What's going on? Remember that no one else in your life, no one else has ever been able to give you sight other than Jesus. No one else has been able to wipe away your sin and give you new life. No one else has ever been able to take you from being a liar and a cheat and a thief and having all this brokenness and has been able to take that and to wipe it out and to put it away and to give you righteousness. No one else. Others may claim to. You may try to go your own way and find it, but only Jesus has done that. And it's remembering that. It's standing on that truth and being grounded in that truth that I believe allows us to keep our eyes that were once blind opened and opened looking to Christ. And that's what we see even in this man's life is that he won't back down because he knew that Jesus did something for him that no one else could do. Remember the times in your life where Jesus has met you there. It can seem hard right now. It may seem dark. It may seem cloudy. But where has Jesus met you? Where has he come through? When you didn't think that there was any good on the other side, where has he shown you that good? Where has he guided you? What has he done in your family and in your life? Would you take that to Jesus? Even here in this situation, I think it's important to say that it's absolutely appropriate for us to plead with God. In fact, God invites that. In some of the darkest times in our life, what I think we need to do is we just need to plead with God. We need to go before him. We need to be honest with him. He can handle it. We see Paul do this. Paul was a devout follower of Christ when he started a relationship with Christ. Even Paul pleads with God three times to take away this thorn in the flesh. But God chooses not to do it, and so Paul says, your grace will be sufficient for me. And so it's okay to plead with God. In fact, it's a good thing. It's an act of faith because you wouldn't plead with someone who you didn't think could change your circumstances. And so wherever you are, would you go before God? Would you plead with him? Would you show faith in him? Tim Keller has a great quote. It says, faith is not primarily a function of how you feel. Faith is living out and believing what truth is despite what you feel. What we see next is, just as Jesus does with us, he pursues this man because Jesus had an even bigger plan for this man just as he has a larger plan to play out in our lives. Here's what it says in these last verses. Let's read this together. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and he is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? 
because they knew he was talking to them. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt, what Jesus does here is amazing. He heals this man both physically, but even bigger than that, he spiritually. He heals him physically and he heals him spiritually. He gives him eyes to see in the physical sense, but far greater than that, he gives him eyes to see in the spiritual sense. This is only something that the Holy Spirit can do to give us eyes to be open to Jesus, to who he is. Even when it comes to those who might press against and say that's not who Jesus is, you shouldn't believe in Jesus, you should go this route, you should go that route, but you shouldn't go this route. That the Holy Spirit would give us eyes to clearly see Jesus and this man clearly sees Jesus. Notice he refers to Jesus here as Lord. He confesses his faith and he worships. And calling Jesus Lord, here's, here's what it means. We've talked about it several times, but it means that you are no longer in authority, but you're relinquishing authority to the one that's over you. That you're giving authority of your life to Christ, every part of it. That he would be the one who leads you, that he would be the one who guides you. That you'd no longer be going your own way, but you'd go his way because it's the best way. And because he's given his life so that you could have this new life. And the question this morning is really what loss, what pain, what hurt, what unknown, what unmet expectations do you need to relinquish authority of and give to Christ? In a real way. Not just an, okay, that sounds good. Really. What's been on your back? What's been weighing you down? What's been causing anxiety? What's been causing doubt? What's been causing frustration? What's been causing a crisis of faith that you need to get real and come before God and say, all right, I need to give you authority over this part of my life. I've been keeping it. I've been trying to do this. I've been trying to do that. But really what I need to do is I need to bring it to you. I know that you've given me eyes to see and I have a relationship with you, but it started to get blurry. And so I've started to reach out and I've tried to do my own thing, but really I just need to keep my eyes open to you. And so I'm going to give you this part of my life. This is what the Pharisees couldn't grasp. They couldn't get it because they were blind to Jesus and they wanted no part of him. And that's why Jesus says your guilt remains. You see who I am. I've claimed to be the son of God, but you won't believe, and so you continue to be blind. It's easy to stand where we're standing with the limited physical mental sight that you have and to, and to say things like this. I just don't see how this could end up good. I get that. Maybe to even ask, maybe, maybe Jesus forgot about me. And this is where really our faith is put to the test. Flowery sayings like let go and let God are not quite as encouraging. And we really need to get down to the basics, to strip off everything else and ask the important questions. Here's a few of those. Do I believe that God is good? It's a foundational question of your faith. And remember, as you ask these questions, this is the one who's given you sight, new life. Do I believe God cares about my suffering? He absolutely does. Do I believe that God has a plan, that he actually already knows what's in front of me and he's actually already there? Do I believe that God can heal? And this is where the only answer worthy of these Christians questions comes in the cross. The only answer comes in the cross. Anytime you ask these questions, anytime you find yourself in a crisis of faith, look to the cross. Look to Jesus. This is where we find the answer. He's absolutely good. God's absolutely good because Jesus, who was good, came down and he lived a good life for people who weren't good. And he took all of my sin, which wasn't good, upon himself and he gave his life for me. So Jesus is absolutely good. Does Jesus care about my suffering? Absolutely. It says that he can relate with my suffering because he endured suffering on my behalf. And so it's about my suffering. And I'll believe that and I'll stand firm in that and I'll keep my eyes open to that. 
Do I believe that he can heal? I do. I'm going to believe in faith that Christ can heal even though I may not feel like it, even though everything around me and everyone around me may be saying, you're, you're putting your hope in something that's hopeless. Nothing is hopeless in Christ. None of your circumstances are hopeless this morning in Christ. No matter how dark it may seem, no matter how dour it may seem, there is hope in the one who gave a man born blind sight. How much more can he meet you in your current circumstance and do a miracle there? We have to believe that. That's what faith is. Even when we don't feel it, we have to believe it. That's where faith comes in. And that's where our faith is lived out. And that's where it really matters. And that's the day to day. What else do we have hope in? Without Christ, we're utterly hopeless. And so would we come to him and will we believe these things and will we stand firm in these things, not just for our own sake, because what Jesus did in this man's life wasn't just for his own sake, it was for the sake of all those around him. That they would see that even as he was pressured, even as he was persecuted, even as he was excommunicated, that he stood with Christ because Christ had done something in his life that no one else could do. Would you stand firm with Christ because Christ has done something in your life that no one else has done or could do? Not only for your own good, but for everybody in your community, in your family. If you want to reach your family members who don't believe in Christ, show them a changed life. Show them that you're changed. You want to reach your neighbors? Love them in a way that shows that you're changed that you would have never loved before. We want to reach Green Lake, which I really pray and I hope that we do as a church. Let's show that we have a changed life, that we have opened eyes, that we're no longer blind and we have a new life in Christ. It's not going to come from debates. It's not going to come from stuff on Facebook. It's not going to come from any of that. It's going to come from living out the truth of the gospel in front of people so that they can see the light of Christ shown on the darkened world and the gospel made true. That's the hope that we have and that's the hope that our world needs. That God's work may be displayed in us and through us just as it was displayed in this man. And he didn't know everything, but here's what he knew. Once I was blind and now I see. Would we stand in that truth? Would we trust in the sight giver over the sightseer? And sometimes the sightseer can be ourself or those around us, but would we trust in the one who gave us sight, that made us new? And so for you, if you're a believer, this means standing firm, keeping your eyes open that before you strain to try to see what's ahead, before you strain to try to see in the darkness of the circumstances of your life, that before you do that, instead of looking just forward, that you would look above. That you would look to Christ who's over it, over everything and every situation that you would first trust in him. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, what he offered this man is no different than what he offers you this morning. What I want, what God wants, what this church wants more than anything else this morning would be for you to be given the sight to be able to see Christ and receive him. Would be for you to trust in him and receive new life. There's nothing more exciting, there's nothing more joyful, there's nothing more celebratory than that. I love that we had a baby dedication today. I love that we dedicated the closest son. It's just a great opportunity to reflect on new life. And it's exciting. It's amazing. It's wonderful. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you've just been walking in the dark, 
he offers to shine a light in your life. And he wants that for you. And if that's you, we're going to respond in just a minute. We're just going to respond. But if that's you, don't hesitate. Don't keep grasping and groping. Come on up here. Ryan and I would love to talk with you. We would love to share more with you. We would love to see you just meet Jesus. And you don't have to have all the answers. This man definitely didn't have all the answers. But he had faith. As we go through our lives, as we go through our day-to-day, as we think about Jesus, as we think about our circumstances, would we trust in the sight giver over the sightseer?